Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And welcome, everybody, to the Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. I've got to tell you, uh, despite the coronavirus, the band, the Pod's Honest Truth band, uh, continues to show up uh, every week. So we appreciate that here at the Pod's Honest Truth. Hey, um, we've got a lot to talk about on the podcast today. First of all, let me just get to uh, some breaking news about toilet paper. Uh, We can't find any, and it's been about a week. So I'm not going to get into specifically... Um, how many roles we have left, because honestly, that's TMI, clearly too much information. But let me just say, we're nearing, we're getting into a danger zone. I'm just going to let you know right now. So uh, please, uh, any tips on toilet paper and where I can find it, dbrody at justthenews.com, dbrody at justthenews.com, because look, uh, this is a global pandemic and toilet paper is a necessity if you haven't heard. There are some other options, but I'd rather not discuss that. And we definitely won't discuss that uh, on the podcast today. What we will discuss, though, when we're going to devote the whole time to it, voter fraud and the coronavirus. We're going to be talking with Eric Eggers, the renowned researcher for the Government Accountability Institute. He's also author of the book called Fraud, How the Left Plans to Steal the next election. And specifically, we're going to get into ballot harvesting. Now, look, evangelicals, I know you heard the word harvest in there somewhere. and You're thinking harvest festival. No, no, has nothing to do with the anti-Halloween harvest festival. Sorry about that. We're talking about ballot harvesting. And basically, many of you may know what it is, but let's just go over it just in case. Basically, you have a third party that's allowed to deliver or submit a ballot on another's behalf. That's basically what ballot harvesting is. California, by the way, the only state where this is legal, North Carolina, it's actually illegal in North Carolina. The rest of the states, it's really a smorgasbord uh, regarding the laws. But for the most part, many of them really don't have legislation governing it one way or the other. Now, what's happening now is that congressional Democrats in Washington, Nancy Pelosi, And the folks there in the House, they want to change that. They basically want to make uh, ballot harvesting national. You've heard a lot about mail-in balloting, that they want to go to nationwide mail-in balloting. That's true. They also want ballot harvesting to be um, national as well. As a matter of fact, that was part of that original House bill. It's actually, you can look it up. It's House Bill 6379. I don't want to geek out or anything. Sorry that I had to throw some digits at you. Uh, but this, the House Bill 6379, uh, excuse me, actually states this specific ballot harvesting language in it. So let me read it to you. Uh, and I, like I said, I don't want to geek out too much because it is congressional Uh, jargon, and, you know, you can get a little confused. But here's what it says. Basically, here's what it says. They shall permit a voter to designate 
any person to return a voted and sealed absentee ballot to the post office and, quote, may not put any limit on how many voter voted and sealed absentee ballots any designated person can return to the post office. Folks, that's ballot harvesting right there. That's what they want. That's what the Democrats want. Republicans push back. It was not put in the first uh, the first stimulus uh, coronavirus bill, or I should say law. Then they had the phase two, wasn't put in there. Phase three wasn't put in there. They're doing phase four, not going to be put in there. But this is what the Democrats want because Nancy Pelosi has said that that's what they want. And they were going to they're going to continue to push that as we move forward. Now, part of ballot harvesting, there's something called granny farming. OK, that's not granny on a farm. It's literally a practice where political operatives go to senior citizen homes and senior citizen centers and help them request their mail-in ballots. And then they assist them in filling the ballots out when they arrive. And can I just say, can I please just put the word assist in quotation marks? Sure, they assist them. Look, we know what's really happening. You have a political operative helping a senior citizen uh, fill out a ballot. Now, let's be honest. If it's a senior citizen in a nursing home, they may not be kind of up to speed on the latest issues. They may have a few developmental disabilities and there's a political operative, quote, assisting them to fill out their ballot. That's why, uh, while it may not be illegal, uh, though it is illegal in North Carolina, while it may not be illegal, it does border for sure on, on, on unethical and leads to a bunch of voter fraud problems. Now, as you might imagine, you've got two sides here, right? You've got the liberals who say there's no problem here, and you've got the conservatives who say this is horrible. So you've got the Heritage Foundation. They recently compiled a list. They have over 1,000 documented cases of voter fraud over the last few years. That's the conservative side. But then the liberals, the Brennan Center for Justice, came to this conclusion about voter fraud overall. Let me read it to you. And here it is, quote, extensive research reveals that fraud is very rare. Voter impersonation is virtually non-existent, and many instances of alleged fraud are in fact mistakes by voters or administrators. So you've got both sides, basically one saying it's a big problem, another side saying it's not a problem at all. So what are the statistics? Because here at JustTheNews.com, and of course this podcast, The Pod's Honest Truth, we want to give you both sides. We want you to know the facts, and then you can go figure it out for yourself. So here's some facts. The Pew Research Center, 24 million. This is what they count. 24 million. That's one out of every eight people in America. 24 million voter registrations in the United States are no longer valid or significantly inaccurate. That's from Pew. Also, Judicial Watch came up with this. 462 counties in America, ready for this, where voter registrations actually outnumber the amount of people who actually live in that county. And many of those jurisdictions, those counties, are in key battleground states. And then there's this. There's data from the U.S. Election Assistance Commission and also the Election Administration and Voting Surveys. Here's what they found in 2016 and 2018, all right? Uh, it shows that in those years between 2016 and the 2018 elections, roughly, ready for this number, 16.4 million ballots mailed to registered voters went missing. That's right. 
16 million voter ballots went missing when they went to the mail-in ballot system. And of course, uh, conservatives, and not just conservatives, but people that are very concerned about this type of stuff, um, say, look, that's 16 million opportunities for someone to cheat. Now, we know there's all different types of election fraud, right? You've got the impersonation um, type, in other words, fraud at the actual polls, and you have false registrations. Uh, you've got duplicate voting, right? You were registered in multiple locations. As a matter of fact, uh, I learned a few years ago that I was not just registered in the state I live in, but in a state where I grew up in New York. So I've got duplicate, a uh, duplicate, that's a new word. Yeah, Google that, a uh, duplicate voting um, in two different states. And then, of course, what we've been talking about, the fraudulent use of absentee ballots. So basically obtaining the absentee ballot from a voter and either filling it indirectly or, or forging the voter's signature or even illegally telling the voter who to vote for can't do it. Of course, you've got buying votes and you've got actually illegal assistance at the polls. In other words, you can't go up to someone at the polls and say, hey, you kind of should vote this way. You can't do that. And there's so many different other elements of voter fraud. So when you think voter fraud, don't just think, uh, you know, that it's happening just at the polls or uh, as the uh, Brennan Center had said, um, they basically said that um, their voter impersonation is what they called it, that it's very rare. Well, sure, voter impersonation is very rare, but there's so many other different types of voter fraud in America. It's something we're going to explore today on the podcast with Eric Eggers. He's got a lot of E's in the name. Let's see, E-R-I-C-E-G-G-E-R-A. Yeah, that's a lot of E's. I'm going to talk to him about that. But first, after the break, Eric Eggers. Say that five times fast on the Pod's Honest Truth. And welcome back, everybody, to the Pod's Honest Truth. All right, time now for our interview with Eric Eggers. I said it right. Thank you very much. Researcher for the Government Accountability Institute, also author of the book Fraud, How the Left Plans to Steal the Next Election. It really is a great read. You can learn all about different types of voter fraud. It's very educational. And among the interesting stuff in the book, he has actual counties and he shows these counties that have registered voters that are listed as, as over 200 years old. So, you know, biblical ages there, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, and he also has exclusive interviews with whistleblowers who have seen the fraud firsthand. And he actually analyzes the voter rolls and show how these numbers just don't add up. It's a great read, great book. And here's my conversation with Eric Eggers. Eric Eggers, thanks for uh, joining me here on the Pod's Honest Truth. Really appreciate it. Hey, great to be here. Well, look, your book, and I've got it here, uh, Fraud, How the Left Plans to Steal the Next Election. It's a fascinating read, and it's, boy, is it a timely read, uh, especially now with all the talk about Democrats wanting funding for mail-in balloting, and you devote a whole chapter to absentee balloting, and really more than just absentee balloting, this whole idea of fraud when it comes to mail-in balloting. Can you kind of take me through some of the concerns that people have about the mail-in balloting process? Yeah, absolutely, David. I mean, the reality is, is that even if you're inclined to not think that uh, voter fraud is a serious concern to American democracy, um, even those people would acknowledge that absentee balloting is by far the most vulnerable and susceptible form of voting to fraudulent and bad actors. So, uh, I mean, if you go into a polling place and cast a traditional ballot, there's no kind of... Uh, gap in the delivery mechanism. You have your ballot there, then it goes in the box and it's done, assuming that the person that's counting the ballots is an honest broker. 
But when it comes to absentee ballots, you introduce so much more uncertainty into the process. And so one of the things I talk about in the book are a litany of examples of these paid political operatives in Texas, they're known as politiqueros. In South Florida, they're known as balateros. Um, I mean, these are people whose job it is essentially to go out, track down uh, people, help them request ballots, and then know when the ballots will be there. And then oftentimes they just you know, cut the actual voter out of the uh, process altogether. So um, you know, by introducing voting that's not taking place in the polling place, you've removed several layers of security in a process in terms of voting it isn't all that secure to begin with. So let's take this through here a little bit in terms of layers. So there's, there's obviously an ethical layer here and there's a potential legal error, a legal layer as well, um, because you can basically, some of this, at least through certain state laws, isn't necessarily illegal. Obviously for forging signatures, that's illegal, but I'm talking about helping someone and suggesting how they vote uh, you know, you know, there's a lot of murky areas here. Can you kind of talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually one of the things that I think was most troubling to me in terms of the language the Democrats are trying to insert in one of the coronavirus stimulus packages, because not only were they trying to nationalize mail-in balloting, uh, but they're also trying to legalize the national practice of what's called ballot harvesting, or the third-party uh, assistance of solicitation and collection of ballots. And so uh, the reason why that's so concerning is in states that uh, do all their voting online, states like Oregon, for example, uh, recent data suggests that 5% of voters in Oregon admit someone else has marked their ballot. Uh, and, you know, so I think that obviously raises some concern. But you're right that there are um, several different kind of nuances in terms of what's legal where. So California, ahead of the 2018 elections, became one of the first states, I'm sorry, became the first state to legalize ballot harvesting with a third party collection of ballots. And so what became very confusing was is that California saw massive gains for Democrats in House seats across the, the state, including in Orange County, which up to that point had been a conservative stronghold. While at the same time in North Carolina, you actually saw a congressional seat being challenged and actually taken to court because of the same practice. The difference is, is in North Carolina, that practice is actually illegal. So North Carolina is one of the few states that explicitly prohibits that practice. And so, um, but many states kind of don't have laws governing it one way or another. In Florida, it's quite common. Uh, the practice is actually called, you know, senior citizens tend to be targeted by these third party operatives and a practice known as granny farming. Um, in the book, I talk about this lady who had a notebook detailing thousands of transactions where she would go and collect ballots and deliver the ballot, deliver the vote essentially for these paid political campaigns. So, uh, yeah, the third party collection of the ballots in terms of ballot harvesting is by far, I think, the most concerning thing to come out of this, uh, you know, this coronavirus relief package, which is supposed to make the country healthier. And oh, by the way, you know, here we are being told, I mean, you're doing, uh, you know, this from your home, right? We're all kind of shut down. The legalization of ballot harvesting in reality would, would have young, potentially asymptomatic carriers of the coronavirus going door to door and interacting with you know, these vulnerable populations, these senior citizens, potentially imperiling their actual health, not to mention the health of America's democracy. So I think it's very concerning. Well, that's a very interesting point. I didn't think about that. Um, uh, you did mention granny farming. It's something I do want to talk about. I've, I found it interesting. I, you know, I'm, I, I know you know all about it, but I got to tell you, I think you line 10 people up on the street. You, you'd say granny farming. I don't think they know what what you're talking about. Can you explain exactly what this is all about as it relates to nursing homes and how vulnerable 
uh, senior citizens here are to that? And how, how widespread is this? And, and how, does it, how does it happen? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, because the bias in America's voting system is always towards the voter and counting the ballot, which of course makes sense. You don't want to disenfranchise anybody that's a legal voter. Uh, but we tend to not really look very hard to see uh, and investigate you know, actual instances of fraud. So when the instances do get documented, I think it's important that we kind of learn from those. And so in the book, one of the things we talk about is uh, there was in South Florida, there were these uh, three political candidates all kind of using the same political machinery. And they're going around and soliciting the ballots on behalf of these elderly people and then helping them fill it out. One gentleman actually testified and he's visually impaired. He's legitimately blind and said, no, I, I didn't fill out this ballot. Somebody filled it out for me uh, against my wishes. And, you know, they took the newspaper that did the investigation, took evidence of that to the state attorney. Unfortunately, you know, the state attorney is, uh, you know, he's got further political aspirations. He's a Democrat. The three political candidates were Democrats. And so, you know, the, the reality is the cold political calculus is if you're Democrat with statewide political ambitions, you're probably not furthering those ambitions by prosecuting voter fraud against, uh, you know, minority Democratic candidates. So, uh, you know, that's been a frustrating aspect in terms of looking for more in-depth investigations into uh, the absentee ballot fraud. But, but granny farming, to the point, is essentially just the targeting of senior citizen populations by going to nursing homes, going to uh, you know, housing projects, going to places where these vulnerable populations live in large numbers. And then they go around and they just become, hey, you know, can I help you request this ballot? Uh, and we have you know, testimony from people that would say, oh, we'd watch these operatives do it. They'd go around, they'd help these people fill out the ballot request forms, and they'd put those in the mail. And once you know that the ballot request forms are in the mail, then uh, you know it's only a matter of days before the actual ballot shows up. So you just sit there and watch the mailbox. When the mailman comes, the ballots have arrived, and then those operatives go and they knock on the door, and then they continue to help the senior citizen fill out, fill out the ballot. So Eric, talk to me about uh, minority communities, because I know this is, this is obviously concern within minority communities as it relates to, I guess, ballot harvesting. I'm not sure exactly what you would call it, but... Uh, minority communities, but also the, the, the elderly, because if you take a wide view of it here, there's been a lot of questions as to who this potentially, a, a full mail-in balloting, who might actually benefit? Would that be Democrats? Would it be Republicans? I mean, most people think Democrats would benefit from it, but there's been talk, especially in the mainstream media, uh, and I put that in quotes, uh, but they're saying, well, wait a minute, Republicans aren't necessarily opposed to, to maybe more mail-in balloting. So, so what, what's... Uh, What's the sense here? Because with mail-in balloting, I mean, if it's about senior citizens, potentially, and there are a lot more seniors that vote Republican than, than Democrats. So how, how do you see this playing? It's a great question. And so I think it's important that we distinguish between, uh, you know, the form of absentee balloting that occurs today in which political, you know, observers have correctly pointed out that Republicans tend to win the absentee ballot vote specifically in Florida and other swing states. Uh, but there's a difference between that and allowing people to request absentee ballots, uh, you know, they feel like that's their preferred method of voting, and mailing a ballot to every registered voter in the country, which is the Democrats' proposal. And so the reason why I think people are saying that the latter would benefit Democrats is because uh, we know that we have massively flawed voter registration uh, databases in this country, right? The Supreme Court cited Pew Center statistics that said 24 million, and this is eight years ago, 24 million voter registrations are significantly flawed or just completely wrong. 
So, and we think we have no reason to think the number's gone down since then. Part of that's because anytime states try to do an honest investigation and a thorough analysis of the you know, accuracy of their voter rolls, uh, they tend to be sued by Democratic operatives to prevent them from doing so. So, um, but if you imagine that we're now going to enter this Democrat fantasy land where we're mailing ballots to every registered voter, um, I think that, that starts to swing the other way because now you've got tens of millions of ballots that are going to not actual voters, right? Which just create tens of millions of ballots that create opportunities for fraud. So I think that's where people draw the distinction, but it's a great question. It's a great point you make. Well, so then is Donald Trump onto something when he says that, you know, mail-in balloting and fraud, this is, this is a real problem? Because some Republicans are, at least the way the media is terming it, you know, some Republicans say it's not so bad. And Donald Trump's like, it's, there's total fraud in this. So I think uh, what he's definitely not wrong about is the fact that there are, it creates the potential for fraud uh, at, a, at a scale, I think, unprecedented in this country's history, if we mail ballots to everyone in the, if every registered voter in the country. Because uh, the reality is, I mean, California, and I think Donald Trump noted this during his press conference recently, California just settled the judicial watch about a million registered voters uh, having to be removed from the voter rolls. And that's just one state. So I think uh, there's been data that suggests that maybe something in the neighborhood of 280 counties have more registered voters than citizens of legal voting age. Uh, so, you know, we've got massive problems with the voter rolls across the country. So if you, if you decide as a matter of national policy, we're not just going to mail everybody that's registered a ballot. Oh, by the way, uh, if we know that that's going to become policy, what do you think happens to the voter registration drives? Uh, it's a documented vulnerability that when you are registering new voters, the key is if you can just register people on the last day, then they don't have the time to go through the normal system of checks and balances. And again, the bias in favor of letting people get on the rolls. And once they're on the rolls, they're essentially a legal voter. And it's almost impossible to remove them. So, uh, you know, it takes, it takes matters of like extreme circumstances. You know, I live here in, in Florida and, um, you know, it, actually in, in Tallahassee, Florida, the, the capital. And the Tallahassee mayor actually ran for a governor, you know, recently. And uh, it was because of um, some investigation that we had done we actually discovered that the former mayor's brother, who we had an FBI affidavit saying he actually lived in Chicago, but we had evidence that he was still voting in Tallahassee, presumably voting for his brother uh, in 2014. We were able to take that evidence to the supervisor of election, and he was removed. But you know, that's what it takes. It takes you know having to go through. And so you know, the point is, why are independent investigators doing that? Why are not the actual election supervisors taking that role on? It's just because they have so much else to do. They're not looking to get rid of the illegal voters. They're just trying to um, you know, get as many legal voters on the rolls as possible. Eric, in your book on a broader question, it says fraud, how the left plans to steal the next election. Why do you say the left rather than politicians or uh, you know, Republicans and Democrats? You focus on the left. Uh, there's got to be a reason for that, obviously, in the book. And I'm wondering if you can tell me why why they would have more reason to want to steal the election than, than maybe the, the other side, if you will. Yeah, I think it's because when we sort of did the systemic analysis of where the incentive structures are and what's stopping uh, steps that would make, I think, American elections more secure, what we discovered is essentially two things. Is that number one, these massive uh, vulnerabilities in the voter rolls uh, are basically being protected by these left-wing groups that are financed by people like George Soros, 
uh, Mark Elias, who was Hillary Clinton's campaign attorney in 2016. You know, they're regularly suing states to prevent them from either implementing voter ID or uh, you know, doing you know, checks on the veracity and accuracy of the voter rolls. While at the same time, you've got other source funded groups that fund um, you know, like ACORN or formerly known as ACORN, La Raza, these paid political operations who then go out and I think try to collect as many uh, and you know, exploit those vulnerabilities that the legal operation kind of fight to make sure still exists. So uh, that's why I would call it, say the left because it does appear to be an organized operation that's very tactical, very strategic, that you know, on the one hand, legally we're fighting to make sure the vulnerabilities exist. On the second hand, uh, you know, we're paying groups to go out and round up as many people and kind of shoving them through those gaping holes uh, you know, to the detriment, I think, of American democracy. Eric, let me ask you one last question. What about the disenfranchised argument? You know, this idea that Democrats say, hey, you know, we don't want to disenfranchise voters. In other words, we've got the coronavirus uh, pandemic. We don't want to necessarily see them go to the polls uh, in person. If they've got an uncomfortability with it, we want to give them a mail-in ballot. So, so why, why even try to fight against mail-in balloting? Because that would disenfranchise voters. What's, what's kind of the response to that? Well, I, again, I would say I have no problem with people using a mail-in ballot. I think you saw a bit of back and forth between President Trump and a reporter. She said, well, did you use an absentee ballot? And he said, absolutely. And then she says, well, wh you know, why are you against it? I'm not against people using absentee ballots. I have parents and grandparents, and you know, I want them to vote in whatever way they feel comfortable. But there's a difference between uh, you know, requesting and using an absentee ballot in the manner in which our current you know, democratic systems are set up to operate with and execute and radically changing uh, you know, without having change, without having ensured that our voter rolls are more secure and without having increased the capacity at our supervisor of elections offices to be able to ensure that those ballots that come in, you know, now we're talking about, you know, tens of millions of uh, signatures that we have to confirm to match. You know, it just, it creates a whole new burden. Plus think about the idea of like where votes are cast now, it's a, it's by definition a decentralized process, right? You know, some people vote here, some people vote here, some people vote here. Now if you start doing national absentee balloting, all the ballots are going to come into the one supervisor of elections office. It just seems like a t totally unsustainable uh, and unsecured scenario. So, yeah, don't have any problem with people requesting absentee ballots if the way the system's currently set up. But I think that mailing everyone, whether they requested one or not, an absentee ballot is a very different scenario. Eric, Eger Eric Eggers, it's a great book, uh, Fraud, How the Left Plans to Steal the Next Election, uh, really an underreported um, topic in America and uh, the, the deep dive that you do, uh, really, uh, really important, especially in this day and age. Eric, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, David. Stay safe. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Eric Eggers here on The Pod's Honest Truth. All right, look, before we leave you, a couple of quick things. You need to understand that this mail-in balloting situation is not going away anytime soon. We talked about how the Democrats want to eventually go to nationwide mail-in balloting and they want to use the coronavirus as a reason to do it. But guess what? 
uh, polls show that almost two thirds, actually more than two thirds of registered voters do want to see election laws changed to allow them to cast their ballots by mail in November because of the concerns about the coronavirus outbreak. So, uh, look, polling, and that's from an NBC News Wall Street Journal poll. It's a recent poll, just came out. Uh, And so that's something to think about, how not only do Democrats want to change uh, the system, if you will, but there seems to be at least public support uh, behind it. I will just say this, in terms of public support, let's talk about bipartisan support about election fraud and absentee balloting, specifically mail-in balloting, because uh, the, the truth of the matter is we know that absentee balloting, or excuse me, absentee balloting has a lot more chances of fraud happening there than at the polls. And as a matter of fact, back in 2005, you had uh, former President Jimmy Carter and the former Secretary of State for uh, George H.W. Bush, James Baker. They chaired a commission on federal election reform. And here's their conclusion. Remember, this is a former president, Democrat, Jimmy Carter and James Baker. Here's what they said, quote, absentee ballots remain the largest source of potential voter fraud. Look, folks, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that if you give someone a mail-in ballot, uh, you're going to have a bigger chance at voter fraud or a larger chance at voter fraud than if they were at the polls. I mean, that's just a no-brainer. As a matter of fact, uh, Richard Posner uh, put it this way. He is a former judge uh, there on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. This is what he said, quote, absentee voting is to voting in person as a take-home exam is to a proctored one. And that pretty much sums it up here on The Pod's Honest Truth. Until next time, America, we'll see you.